Bum, 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 bum. In honor of Tar, what's your favorite pop culture classical music needle drop? Uh, I'm Katie Rich, and I start feeling very stupid when asked to think of any classical music. So I just thought of the Hall of the Mountain King in the Social Network, which is all I ever think of anytime I see, see anytime I see people row crew. That feels like a good answer. Row crew, not row crew. Row crew, not row crew. Row crew. <laughs> yeah, obviously. Uh, why do you feel stupid? No, sorry. This is the lightning round. I don't think you get a, a chance to answer. I'm Matt Patches. <laughs> I'm going to go with um, the accordion cover of Avaldi's Summer from Force Majeure. Is that movie a, just a classic that we don't talk about enough, even though there's a new Ruben, whatever his last name is, movie, I mean, Triangle of Sadness it, it, in theaters right now? I Force Majeure is a banger. Sadness, Triangle of Sadness is a misfire. It makes me want to celebrate. It makes me more want to celebrate force majeure but also oh, i'm great. so sick okay. of ruben oslin's shit at this point because the square wow. was also a step down that <laughs> okay. i don't want to talk about him so i'm of mixed minds but yes let's uh, let's excellent. just go back to the beginning where force majeure is, is a fantastic that. little, little movie. stop asking questions about the lightning round patches hey it's me david the seven oh to join the bluey episode bike we talked about bluey don't worry about it <laughs> Am I up? Hi, I'm David Ehrlich, and I am going to stay on brand and uh, go with Dmitry Shostakovich's Waltz, number two, from Eyes Wide Shut. Pick your, pick your particular needle drop in Eyes Wide Shut. It shows up quite frequently. You could also go with Georgi Ligeti's music in that movie. There are great. There are several great options. So ready for David's blank check episode about eyes wide shut to drop. So we'll stop talking about eyes eyes wide shut. Do you think that's gonna? You think that's gonna do it? You think I'm? You think I'm ever gonna stop talking? You think I'm also can stop me? Actively plotting a screening of eyes wide shut somewhere in New York right now. Um, yeah. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then, well then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine, then, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's, it's a podcast. podcast. Hello, and welcome to Fighting in the War Room. It's episode 412, Pandemic 142. It's the week of Wednesday, October 26th. That's the day that in 1984, Dave. Mm. Sorry, yes, that's I correct. Yes, bad notes. Uh, 1984, James Cameron's a Terminator release in the U.S. Uh, Great movie. Great movie. Uh, <laughs> Have you watched you it recently, know. Katie? I Have you seen it? I know. Yeah, I, I saw it for okay. the first time like in the last 15 It's years. a horror so movie. That's so that's why I was wondering if it was Actually, that's a good uh, point. It it's very... Um, I definitely saw it after I had seen Terminator 2, which I think is probably true of a lot of people of our generation, because Terminator 2 was like the big scary movie we were barely allowed to see as children, and then we would have to go back and catch up with the Terminator. Also, Terminator 2 doesn't have a sex scene in it that oh, I yes. believe Terminator has. Terminator definitely it does, has a sex yes, scene it has a very steamy 80s I don't think scene. Terminator 2 does. Because um, Terminator 2 is about There's a no kid. time to have sex. a kid sex. and his robot friend. No, everybody's... Well, there shouldn't be time in Terminator to have sex, except that, you know, the entire human race... They have priorities. On. Yeah. Depends on it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they know it needs to get done. Anyway, uh, before I make the call for reviews, I'm going to take a prerogative and share an IRL review with all oh. of you. I've told you about mm, this happened. IRL but at, review at, corner. Yeah. <laughs> at uh, Film Fest 919 in Chapel Hill last weekend, which I know I shouted out last week. Um, I spoke to Chrissy, who has been a listener of this podcast and uh, works at a bagel shop, which sounds incredible. And I'm so glad to have an in at a bagel place. I feel like that's something I've needed in my <laughs> life a long time. 
And she just, so she work you know, at a shop near you. Cause that you can really uh, take near enough, of. near enough that I'm going to go make a special trip. But I just wanted to shout out to Christy and say, thank you for saying hi and for listening to the podcast. Well, it was so like, thrilling and was shocking too. Christy's review of the podcast good uh yes, where she yes, screaming she at you to about how awful share it was and I hate listen to uh, it every week that would be really incredible to be recognized for a podcast <laughs> you know for your face for someone who hates your podcast I mean it'd be scary honestly I think like they really went through an effort to yell at you so no Christy was very lovely and a fan so yeah I I hope we all get to encounter IRL fans of this podcast because it's really fun I'm not going to make that reviews? monkey's paw wish, but uh, yes, yeah, sure. No, that's true. It's true. <laughs> Just let it let it be a blessing. If I it love you all, you. listeners. <laughs> <laughs> um, we uh, regrettably do not have any other. Oh reviews. my god! Are you serious? Wait, did, did Chrissy just save us from Galaxy of Heroes, though? Yeah, yes and no. Because uh, mm. here's what's going to happen. Here's what's going to happen. Wait. I've made a, an executive decision in terms of how Chrissy's review affects this segment of the show. <laughs> Uh, and I think it's a win-win for everybody. Uh, we are not going to talk about Star Wars Galaxy of Heroes. We were going to talk briefly, in maybe half the time that we'd have allotted to Star Wars Galaxy of Heroes in lieu of having any reviews on our iTunes page, about the Marvel equivalent of Star Wars Galaxy Marvel of Heroes. Snap! Marvel Strike Force. No, Marvel not Marvel Strike, Strike Force. Force. Let's talk because about Marvel I, Snap. I we got am, a new app. <laughs> I am in rapid-fire fashion going to ask oh, no. Dave about some new characters that have been introduced to this no. game. Who I've never heard of and I'm suspicious, suspicious about. So you have time to play think, the Star Wars mobile game and the Marvel mobile game? No, I, I, I make the time. I have, How do you, I, you know, David's I, time. A man's got to sit David's on the time toilet. management. A man's got to walk back from uh, getting his bagel. How bad are hemorrhoids? Because you have two different Disney-based <laughs> Marvel apps to play every time you shit. They do. They do all feed up to Marvel to Disney. Do they? Dave, Actually, David's time but, management is the like the like the running gag mystery of this show. Like you'll listen to this show for ten years and never figure out how David works. I multiple PS5 games he's playing now for IndieWire. I am. I am. I've been playing God of War Ragnarok all week, but it's it's for work, you know. Um, I don't know if the game is owned by Marvel, even though because Disney Disney owns Marvel outright. Not they don't just own Marvel films. Yes, correct. Okay, so then I guess it must trickle up eventually. Um, sad. All my all my base truly belong to Disney. Uh, okay, <laughs> Dave. First yeah. of all, they have just teased the release of a zombie Iron Man. What the fuck is that about? It's from uh, what if? in the world of Marvel zombies. Well, not just, I mean, it's from what if in terms of the TV show, but it is a entire alternate uh, horror title uh, that takes place in an alternate dimension where. A, a zombie virus has taken over all your favorite Marvel heroes. Yeah, that sounds stupid. Pass. Uh, I'm sure it's going to be overpowered. Who Aren't is? most of the uh, Marvel is... zombies currently starring in the Marvel films? hey am I right? We're just zombie okay. Hello. Um, mm. Here's a question mm-hmm. that friend of the show, David Sims, struggled to answer for me when we were talking about this on a very long car ride yesterday, uh, or at least talking about this for a very long time. Um, who is Philo Vale? Phyla Vale. Phyla Vale. Phyla Vale. Phyla That made really enough of a difference. This person is in the game. About. This is a Marvel yeah. character. Phyla Vale? Phyla Vale. Sure. Like Marvel. Oh, that's dumb. She's a Cree. Uh, I think she's a Cree in something else, but she is an alien that is uh, basically uh, Marvel to Phyla Vale. Mm. I was just the bonus to this. I uh, finally, of an IRL finally, review. I feel like this is not finally, the game. At what point does T'Challa become Star Lord? 
which is apparently a thing that happens because he is. That's also that's that from what if is that's in what if <laughs> yeah. that's one hundred percent what if. Now I'm right. Uh, that is actually the final uh, vocal performance of Chadwick Boseman. Yeah, David, as, you did uh, not watch Disney Plus's animated Black series. Panther. What if? Alas, I did not. Come on, um, or as to you're too busy playing the which he values his time. All right. <laughs> Truly. Um, uh, well, this has all been very educational for, for me, for all of our listeners. Uh, if you would like to not listen to us <laughs> talk about mobile, gacha, uh, iPhone, Star Wars, and Marvel RPGs, um, please go on iTunes, Fighting in the War Room, leave us a review, we'll read it live on the show. Otherwise, you're going to hear all about these new fucking droids they introduced into Star Wars Galaxy of Heroes. I don't know who they are. I don't like the look of them, uh, but I got to get them all. <laughs> So, don't join me on that quest. Leave us a review. <laughs> don't suffer alongside David. Let him suffer alone. <laughs> you to call in, man. You send you up. Reason call in, nine to nine two zero. All right. Guys, a movie came out this past weekend. It did pretty well. It made $67 million. Is that $4 million less than the opening weekend of Eternals? Yes, but it's a success for the DC Cinematic Universe because they're back uh, uh, after Batman decided he was going to go his own way and start looking like Robert Pattinson. Black Adam... Dwayne The Rock Johnson has finally made good on his Black Adam movie, which was announced, it feels like a decade ago. I mean, more than a decade ago. It, this, was, this was 15 years ago we first started talking about Whoa. The Rock in a Black He's Adam like, movie, I like after Scorpion King. Yeah. And we were like, that's interesting. Why that's would anyone the Shazam make this movie? bad guy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so they, we got a Shazam movie, and it was like, oh, maybe we're going to get a Dwayne The Rock Johnson Black Adam. But what has actually happened is Dwayne The Rock Johnson who, if you recall, in 2018, we all agreed, was the enemy of cinema. His <laughs> I can't really disagree has, after Black Adam, but we'll, we'll get there. No. Has Patches, strong did you arms. say that to his face when you interviewed him last week? <laughs> uh, in different words, in different words. I mm. said, wow, this is a very four-quadrant film. <laughs> <laughs> wow. The ultimate wow. This, this is really for the fans, not the critics. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he says that. Yeah. He has gone on, he is well, talking yeah. up a storm about the fans. Hashtag yeah, I mean, that you know what? Sort of I so gotta say, I did. <laughs> I'm sorry movies. to sidetrack you, Dave, but I did talk to The Rock, and my, what a sweetheart. He's a very nice man. He is <laughs> oh, so see, good at hyping see? you up. And I'm this like, how yeah, he, gets he, you. Really, he really got to where he is by not being charismatic. Despite, you know, <laughs> I, I wish movies. him the anyway. absolute best. And I only talk about his movies in the vacuum of, of seeing them. Not, it's not a personal attack. Right, the Rock. I'll make it a personal attack. The Rock is, a, is a, a rock. an entertainer, and I can say that he's the enemy of pop culture. But Dwayne Johnson, different personality, different person. Wow, wow. And I, I think it's impossible for those two things to be the same. The Rock is Republican capitalism let loose yeah. on Hollywood yes. and unleashed. He has bullied a crumbling Warner Brothers into using him way. as the relaunch point for the DC Cinematic Universe. As in movies that intersect. If you saw the DC the League of Super Pets or whatever, and it's like, why does Black Adam's dog show up at the end of this? Guess what? The exact reverse happens at the end of Black Adam when Henry Cavill steps out of the smoke 
dressed as Superman once again. Not the exact be opposite, like, because the Black Adam's dog is not a... I was just going to ask, is someone's dog involved? No Black Adam dog in this movie. That Black Adam's dog disappears from the end of this movie? (laughs) (laughs) Which would be entirely possible in the very loose uh, logic of Black Adam. Anyway, Black Adam, it's out. It uh, takes place in a nonsense country that's some sort of Iraq-Egypt hybrid uh, that is being ruled over by an international group of mercenaries that has seized the whole country and no one cares because this script... Yes, please use yes, Intergang, which rhymes it. with Interbang. What's uh, Interbang? Is it the Oh no, Interbang. No, Interbang is the is the exclamation point question mark. Yeah, it's Interbang a, is uh, 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 yes, I think I guess I did know that. A party we're all too old for. <laughs> um Black Adam uh, has a script that's dumb as rocks. And uh, visuals that were built uh, out of some very good, I'm sure, concept artists uh, that uh, does not hang together and is really a mystery to me uh, as why it's a film. Patches, can you tell me why this is a film? You've talked to Dwayne the Rock. I mean, it is a, I mean, in terms of it having a beginning, a middle and end and being projected in theaters around. Yes, it has a beginning fight. It has a middle fight and it has an end fight. Those three um, fights take place. I think you are seizing on something important here, which the quality of this kind of garbage, just ugly ass movie. Um, it's so fucking is ugly. Very, it's is so very fan art to me. I, the idea of The Rock starring in a Black Adam movie kind of emerged from fan art too. There's this panel of comics where Black Adam is like sitting on a throne and. and having this kind of smirk um, and a lot of people have illustrated the rock in this pose, imagining the rock being in a black Adam movie. And for the, the whole run of the movie, cause so much of it is in slow motion. It feels like a giant two hour motion poster designed by boss logic. The guy who makes just like <laughs> slobbering fan art of, of DC characters and is like a total Snyder bro. Um, it just feels like that as a movie um, with very, to your point, like, very little logic propelling why these character characters exist. Oh. Like, what does Black Adam want? I don't know. He just gets a bolt of lightning, shoots out of the sky, and all of a sudden he is fighting alongside. He's an anti-hero. He kills. They make this joke like 18 times in the movie. Like, hey, we don't kill. I do. Um, they must say it over and over. But at no point do I understand. Who is we? Who is he with? Okay. Yeah, let's the back Justice up here. Society. If you never see Black Adam, let's fill in there some is, of the, the never see Black there Adam. Is Katie, Katie, what you need to remember is that there is nothing that DC loves more than racing through a team building exercise of characters you've never heard of and couldn't possibly care less about. I mean, they, sure, I did they, see are, Justice they are League. in a hurry <laughs> to uh, bloat the screen Wait, with characters who have no personality that's whatsoever. In the, that's in like the middle uh, of the movie. We uh, have to start at the beginning for Katie because oh, no. Katie, I'm very excited to let you know that in Kandak, this made up country uh-huh, there course, is a course. mother who is kind of like an archaeologist type person who's trying to find a mystical crown from the past that has some sort of magical sure. powers but more importantly for you she has a precocious son and he ah. is a studio note that makes everyone love like <laughs> kids and kids love this movie even though black adam as the rock has been saying for he the last like, three months he he's full of rage the, he messes with the american occupiers in oh, this country who are obviously coded system. to be you know, scenes <laughs> coded to be iraq <laughs> And uh, but they are all members of Interrogang because that you know defangs everything. Uh, this movie and he, has like, skateboards politics. and like takes I things know. out of their back pockets, and he's like Dennis the Menace, you know, whatever the fuck. It's Look, real yeah. dumb. 
There are several times in the movie he gets on his skateboard, goes five feet, gets off his skateboard. And I'm like, what the fuck is, is a video going game? On? Um, he fast travels. Yeah, so the, these guys stumble upon Black Adam magic and summon him, and Black Adam is not certain where he is, what time period he's in, but he is just, just immediately destroying Is he like a genie? Like... He's, he's an evil Shazam, so if you say Shazam... He is yeah. summoned. So three thousand. Like, I want to be clear. So like Shazam has been established as a franchise with Zachary Levi and a bunch of cute kids. I've seen the half of it. I liked it. It does yeah, not wizards. seem like this exists in the same total yeah, universe. No. Those at all. same right. wizards help Black Adam in the past. Okay. It's true. Uh, Shazam is a much stronger film across the board. Has a much more coherent. It has a tone. It has characters. Um, it's an emotional. This emotion. is. Uh, <laughs> this is people saying Shazam a lot, and they're also very non-committal to the idea of. The Rock being the, or Dwayne Johnson being the evil Shazam, so much as like the, uh, I don't know, the Shazam who's a little bit more willing to incinerate red shirts. But, yeah, imagine yeah. if like when the Iron Giant arrived to Earth, he killed like a hundred people, um, but then we still <laughs> love him at a later point, and then he tries to quip, even though he's full of rage and wants to kill, mm, um, and kidding. he's not the regular hero. Katie, Dwayne Johnson, like the the, the Black Adam character, uh, whose name is not christened as such until Iron Man style, the last scene, in a nauseating trope I thought we had all grown past. Uh, within like five minutes of being awake in the 21st century, he is workshopping his catchphrases. That's what I we're mean, aren't we here. all? Isn't that what happens yeah. to us every morning living in the 21st century? Ka-chow. Um, yeah, he's <laughs> working on his personal brand. Um, it's, yeah, insufferable. But what do, yeah, so then Black Adam... He realizes that people are being oppressed in Kandak. I think what's mildly interesting, but certainly not explored and maybe in conflict with other parts of the movie is because uh, the, the intergang that is occupying Kandak, um, the, the, the woman at the heart of the story, the archaeologist woman, is uh, eventually when Black Adam starts killing people, the Justice Society of America shows up, Katie. Um, so not the Justice League. No, not Justice League. We're no, talking about your favorite. Of course favorite not. Why, why, why would I mean? You get to see Doctor Fate, Hawkman, it's like Cyclone. Screech. It's oh what? Uh, you know, <laughs> fucking. I remember who else was in the new class. Zach's girlfriend with the leather jacket. Yeah. Right. Right. Uh, yeah. They all show up, and actually, the people of Conduct don't care for them. They're intruding upon their world, and like Black Adam is their hero. And actually, even though Black Adam is murdering people all over the place. <laughs> But he's, he's murdering the hero bad of guys. Um, and this, yeah, this it's like, hard to tell who he well, murders because the there's a whole bunch of Kondaki. property destruction. He is the. I mean, he essentially fashions himself as the protector of Kandak. Uh, the notion of heroism is uh, explored and plumbed in greater detail and depth than any movie has ever done before. I can't believe this is a movie that's going back to the DCEU and they're like, "We don't kill," and I'm like, "Bitch." All your heroes kill. It's <laughs> well, in all their first movies. Yeah, well, like, this is the movie that the franchise that starts with. Blue... Yeah, well, it's like <laughs> Superman, like destroying full skyscrapers full of people. Like, wasn't yep. that the whole thing about Man of Steel that made everybody mad? Yeah, and that made Batman so mad. He ki Batman killed some people. He was so mad. I guess in, in Black Adam's defense, he's not killing the pedestrians. Conduct. He is killing <laughs> in terror gang, um, but he's still like blowing them up into dust or throwing them into the ocean yeah. he also cannot use doors for some reason every time black adam leaves a room he kool-aid man <laughs> bursts through the rock um <laughs> and i can't tell if it's a joke or just like a stupid flex like is this movie so high on the gruff rage like i'm i'm a brute 
that he doesn't use doors, well, or is it a Patches, joke? You're I getting, think this movie you're doesn't know. something that I find very intrinsic to why this movie is such a spectacular failure, which, uh, as I, I really hammered on in my review, is that, you know, it's posing as this sort of darker, grittier take of the character. It's trying to embody an ethos that the DC films have been very unsuccessfully exploring as a counter to the Marvel movies for a long time now. But the it's fatally miscast because... The Rock, Dwayne Johnson, as we continue and have frequently discussed in this podcast, is the single most risk-averse movie star in Hollywood. And he is not really interested in doing anything that's going to upset the apple cart or uh, isolate, you know, even a single fan. The critics, you know, take or leave them. Or damage um, his future presidential campaign. Well, I don't know about that, but sure. I mean, I, but like, I, but I think in the back of his mind somewhere, he's like, well, but, well how do they feel about this in Iowa? You know, but, but this is, I mean, you know, to that I point, I mean, this is the rare, the rare actor who can make the, it really just matters what the fans think pivot. And I believe do it sincerely. Like he really, he really just wants to be liked by everyone. He wants to have this very sort yeah. of lowest common denominator, um, you know, casual viewing fan base. Uh, and that's the movie. But like, it does not at all jive with the tone that they're going for. Black Adam being this sort of like edgy anti-hero. It doesn't make any sense to me why Black Adam of all characters would be the one that he would dream of playing. Um, it's a really colossal, you know, clash between uh, not any of the characters in this movie. I mean, name the villain. Honestly, name the villain. I dare you. But like, it's uh, the uh, most forgettable, the most forgettable villain that has existed from I think, in any comic book movie that we have had. <laughs> he's like a guy. He's like an extra. Sabak? Until like Is the that... third act when he's like, no, Sabak's not his name. It's like, whatever. Um, Sabak is the devil that possesses. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I mean, it's like, oh, what a fucking mess. But um, is there but, good action in this movie? I mean, ultimately, no. people aren't going for the story to make sense. They need they need spectacle. But does does the spectacle? Did it work for you at any point in this movie? Does it have highlights? We're talking about Jean Collet Sarah. This guy has made good kind of B movies. These are he, these are dark times to be uh, Jean. Uh, 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 I mean, how, how do you pronounce his first name? Patches. Jean, Jean Colesera. Jean Colesera. These are dark times to be a Colesera fan. Uh, after Jungle Cruise, uh, you know, yeah, he was a respected craftsman of those Liam Neeson thrillers that cut about a bit above average and had some personalities and verved them nonstop. Um, the fucking run all night about Liam Neeson being a frantic New York Rangers fan. I think it was great. Um, yeah, but. Uh, <laughs> Um, yeah, somehow the shallows you, has a, the a stronger anti-hero in the shark than the hit Black Adam has. The shallows Black rules. Much respect to Steven Siegel. Uh but the uh yeah, I mean he's really sort of gone on he's he smelled that the rocks cooking and the fumes have uh intoxicated him a little bit. And <laughs> he's now in the Ro the Ross and Marshall Thurber career path, and uh, I think it's everyone's loss. Everyone's loss. Dave, any there good are... action in this? <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. There are moments I think of good action. Uh, basically, whenever they can get out of the it's the Middle East, so it's yellow uh, part of this movie. Uh, there's a fight between Black Adam and Hawkman in an apartment uh, that I think is uh, kinetic in a way that um, like something like Thor Love and Thunder maybe nodded towards but never got to. Um, I think there's a pretty fun fight between a face-replaced person playing depowered rock and a whole bunch of nameless troopers uh, that takes place in under uh, in a place that has a whole bunch of water, so the slow-mo at least is stylistic enough 
uh, to have slashes, uh, splashes and impact. Uh, and then I don't mind the thing that separates the second act and the third act where the bad guy uh, puts on the magic crown and causes the rock to go like uh, Super Saiyan for 10 seconds. Uh, I think that's all, uh, well, like I said, well designed at a visual level and then executed. I did it just enjoy doesn't- I did enjoy that they had to do some like very janky looking face mashing to get the rock when he's like de-sized and put into a normal person's body to, to look just like a regular human. It, it, unlike in Captain America, where they had a similar effect with Chris Evans to make him look especially scrawny, uh, they are just trying to make the rock look like a normal human being when they take his face and put it on somebody else's body. And the lengths to which they have to go to do that is very amusing. Yeah, it's a uh, it's an odd effect, but like little parts, there was enough of like, you know, and I think there's some cool stuff in the first scene where he gets summoned again until he goes outside and then everything becomes this like weirdly metallic color correct under well, yellow it feels, skies. It feels super jointed or like. This feels like a COVID movie. I don't know how much of it was shot. During, I think it must have all been shot during COVID based on rock making Jungle Cruise and that coming out during the pandemic. But um, this feels like a suffocating black box one location mm. movie somehow. And yet it takes a place across all of this gigantic Middle Eastern city. Um, it's a very strange effect, but I, I feel like the walls are always closing in on Black Adam. I mean, there's there's something really weird about how they present the character in general. Like, I get that he's supposed to be, like, godlike and, you know, will eventually fight Superman and whatever the shit. But, like, The Rock, the only time that character runs is when he's depowered. Like, The Rock could have just filmed his entire part on a single green screen stage, and I don't think I would have known the difference. Yeah, he's constantly hovering, like, right? He's always in yeah, the Yeah, he's air. posing and hovering. There's no physicality. And then if he did, he like, he doesn't even reach forward and open a door that's actually there, as you pointed out, Patches. So I don't know how much of this movie The Rock is like with. And then there's lots of scenes where Pierce Brosnan does some exposition. And I'm like, that was shot on a completely different month than the rest of this movie. Pierce Brosnan's in this movie. Yeah, wait, we gotta, let's celebrate. Let's celebrate Pierce Brosnan. Yeah, no. This is the good Uh, part of the movie. Not your Doctor Fate is the good part of the movie. Doctor Fate rules. I mean, Pierce Brosnan, Pierce Brosnan uh, could have been a good part of the movie. I think that he coming into it with the right attitude and right angle, but there is just not enough runway for him to do anything with it. I mean, the character that has is... like three beats. Uh, they're he all has a good rapport of... with uh, and... Hawkman, who played by uh, Aldous no, Hodge. No, and none of it. None of it. There's, there's, I mean, Aldous Hodge. <laughs> they could have had a buddy. I mean, like, there could have been a character there, but instead he just plays a boring Boy Scout, uh, and he's sort of a, a buzzkill. Um, I mean, all of those people, including Noah Centineo as like Jewish Wolf, Ant-Man. Uh, and, yeah, not uh, land a one-liner. Quintessa Swindell. Uh, Cyclone could have been cool, but all of these people are so underserved. Well, they have a good costume. Um, but, you know, and as, as I also ranted about in my review, it's, I understand that a lot of these characters predate their Marvel equivalents in, on the page anyway. But the the hierarchy of the uh, superhero movie universe has changed. It's changed certainly <laughs> the hierarchy uh, as it was on the page. And the degree to which they are simply borrowing from the templates that the Marvel versions of these characters have created in the movies, you know, with Dr. Fate being such a direct ripoff of the way that Benedict Cumberbatch approached that character, all the way down to the goatee, 
Um, and Adam Smasher being a sort of combination of uh, Tom Holland, Spider-Man, plus Ant-Man's powers, plus uh, the Mark Ruffalo of it all. I mean, Noah Centineo. Centineo Dead, looking Deadpool's like a, mask. Deadpool's mask. I mean, like, uh, you know, and, and Cyclone, whatever their history on the page, plays in this movie like a direct ripoff of Storm, only because the character is given no other personality traits or background information whatsoever. <laughs> it all feels like it's been What are you talking about? They're good at computers. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's it's a, just, it's there's... so frustrating that, like, this is not frustrating because I give a shit, but frustrating just to see people swallow this down. That, like, you know, if DC, for the good of the gander, we're going to get these fucking movies anyway. They may as well be entertaining. They have an opportunity to pivot away from the hole that Zack Snyder dug for them to claw their way out of that aesthetic in particular and that kind of storytelling. Shazam gave them an opening. That's a movie that works. And here, Black Adam is just digging itself back into that hole in every way that it can. Very and sure. I think it's going to end up doing more to stall out any of DC's efforts, regardless of how it did at the box office, than it will to help them establish their own identity and succeed as a you know sustainable counter to, to Marvel. So this I would be surprised blows. if Everyone we got fucking sucks. Maybe maybe to wrap up uh, to to pull back a little here. Let let's spoil the very end of this movie, Dave. Let's talk I about did. the thing. I said it already. Uh, well, you you hinted at it, but I didn't say that's in the movie. That's a spoiler. I said uh, Henry Cavill walks out oh, of the God. smoke we wearing the, the Superman cool. uniform. Okay. Yeah, Henry Cavill's uh, in the movie. No one cares. First he, of like, all, he like posted on I know, Instagram Rock, about it today, didn't he? <laughs> yes, he did. The Rock has been talking about this for weeks and weeks because it's the only way they could sell Black Adam to like the masses. <laughs> they need some to huff something uh, I mean, about the future. Worked. But do you think, um, do you think Black Adam is like the beginning of a franchise. Can you imagine a world where we get a Black Adam two, or are we off ramping to Henry Cavill, who is actually well, the, amazing casting for Superman, and I'd love move, to see him in a movie that works. I mean, historically speaking, the DC move would then would be to then immediately, you know, pivot these two characters and fight them against one another. I mean, not have a movie that tees up that conflict. Uh, any more than this one already has, or like have DC has not really achieved what you're talking about. They they would jump directly to Black Adam versus Superman. Yeah, it just I that feels Imagine. weird about it. That feels weird because uh, if you go directly to Black Adam versus Superman, no one's going to show up for Black Adam versus Shazam. Like because <laughs> like no one cares. Black Adam versus Shazam is what the characters. That's the characters they're supposed to fight. That's the But Black Adam's degree. good now. How can you do Black Adam versus anyone? He's a good guy now. Black Adam's not good now. He's just he's threatening Amanda Waller. That's why Superman shows up. Yeah, but then you would have Wait. a hero in the DC universe invading a Middle Eastern country, conduct that's that's supposed to be basically. You mean like Iraq. Wonder Woman did in Wonder Woman nineteen eighty four, where she took all the missiles and uh we were, the wall. we were for that in the theory. In the movie. Wait, are you talking about Milo Davis not. is in this movie? Oh yes. yeah, spoiler. Man, she, how many times has she played Amanda Waller now? She like, zoomed she's, in, don't worry. She's it, she's in this movie for one scene. And I mean, I'm, just, scene. I'm glad that she is bankrolling something fantastic with those ch- paychecks, I assume. This movie has uh, two weeks to make all the money, and then Black Panther is going to blow it out of the water by having a story. And that's <laughs> like, it doesn't Why? even have to be a good story, but just the fact that it's going to have a story no one's going to think about Black, Black Panther will gross, uh, you know, not not that this is any indication of their relative quality, although in this case, I'm guessing it is. But uh, Wakanda <laughs> Forever is going to gross more in, it, in 72 hours than Black Adam will make in its entire wow. US theatrical run. 
So, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna give well, Black Adam the benefit of the doubt and say Black Panther two could be worse than Black Adam because I have my open wow. heart to any possibility. But it seems you hard know, to believe because Black Adam is a piece of shit. My God, I had I hated it. Oh. Halloween's coming up. In theory, we should all be preparing by watching horror movies. You know how I am about that, although I did watch a legitimately scary movie, which I'll talk about. But David, it was your idea for everyone to uh, throw out their Halloween spooky season watch recommendations. So I want to hear what you watch in a cabin in the woods uh, yeah, in like New York year, City this weekend. Uh, I, I tell myself that I want to you know, embrace the spirit of the season. Like Every year, Halloween seems to go by way too fast, and I had been really negligent in my uh, horror movie watching, even though I cruise through some of the Criterion Channel's 80s horror uh, package, which has some really fun winners and some movies that are very demented and some other things like Michael Mann's The Keep that I'd wanted to check out. Um, but I ended up watching, I went up to a cabin in the woods with my wife and son and David Sims, as previously mentioned, uh, all part <laughs> of the same trip. And we ended up making a little film festival accidentally uh, of movies about people summoning evil deities of some kind um, or ancient deities and uh, re regretting that decision or just encountering mm. those deities. We watched Typically first, they do regret those decisions. They, they do. Um, we watched first David Bruckner's very recent Rafe Spall starring The Ritual, which is about yeah. a group of friends who go into northern Sweden uh, to pay their respects to a friend of theirs who had died during a robbery um, and their walk among the woods uh, takes a wrong turn. Uh, both literally and figuratively, and they find themselves dealing with Jotun, which is a name I have been dealing with a lot myself recently in other media. Uh, but um, that'll come up later. Uh, <laughs> then we watched Ken Russell's phenomenal, very, very fun, The Lair of the White Worm, which feels like a movie that everybody on film Twitter is watching, catching up with right now. Uh, and with good reason. Uh, I mean, if, you know, if you've seen any Ken Russell movie, you can only imagine how much fun him and his dotage making a crazy like hammer adjacent Bram Stoker novel adapted horror movie in England with a very young Hugh Grant, Catherine Oxenberg, Peter Capaldi as an arch the arch yeah, the local archaeologist who is dealing with the uh, return of the Dampton worm. Um, and uh, uh, who is it? Amanda Donahue as Lady Silva Marsh, a role that was supposed to be played by Tilda Swinton. Uh, words cannot do it justice. It is campy. It is delightful. Um, highly recommended while it's still on a Criterion channel. And we ended up, well, you know, as, as you would have to after that point, watching the original Hellraiser, which is a movie I've never seen. Uh, and I've still only seen half of because the night was getting late, but I, am very, I have every intention of finishing because uh, I have been waiting all my life to watch a movie about someone who goes so deep into the weeds of their own BDSM fetishism that they blur the lines between pleasure and pain to the point that they have no choice left but to summon hell demons uh, to teach them what it means and turn uh, people into goo. And uh, I was having a great oh, time with it. Um, what, Hellraiser is not at all what I had imagined it to be in my head. Uh, and uh, You weren't and, here for the, when yeah, we were, I think reviewed no. the new one, right? Yeah, there's been a lot no. of Hellraiser talk on this show in the last couple yeah, of weeks. Yeah, Hellraiser, Hellraiser, I'm, I'm taking Hellraiser so far. 
and uh, we'll definitely make a point as soon as I have 45 minutes in between my Star Wars and Marvel games to figure out how that ends. <laughs> but uh, have you guys been watching any spooky movies? So I watched The Exorcist for the first time since wow. I was a teenager. Oh. Uh, adjacent to another podcast that I'm doing at some point later on. Because um, I had seen it, but like kind of hadn't seen it because I watched it when I was a kid. And I do feel like I spent most of this movie being like, I see why people remember this scene. I don't fully get why this is a franchise or has otherwise inspired like legions of devoted fans. And then the last 20 minutes kick in basically when Max von Sydow shows up and I was like, kind of got it. But I did feel like I was watching the whole thing being like, am I one of those idiots on Twitter who's like, any movie that's in black and white or made before 1980 just doesn't speak to me at all. Because I felt like a lot of The Exorcist like wasn't speaking to me. And I want, I don't know if you guys want to take this time to yell at me or if this is just me not well, being a horror person what to was get it. Because it's like, I mean, it's slow, which is like fine. It is fine for it to be a slow movie. And it has like these bursts of like real terror with Linda Blair in the bed getting progressively worse with astonishing makeup. But it's also got but like. But you hate kid actors, so you're like, take it. Eh, she's you. pretty good. I'll, I'll give her some credit. Um, But like Ellen Burstyn's like acting career, like didn't really feel like a whole story. And it just takes a long time for the pieces of the story to kind of unite in any real way. And I'm like. I don't know that thematically a lot of it like lined up in the way that either I thought it would or I was like led to expect that it would. It's really hard to untangle expectations versus reality with a movie that's that big. Well, you should uh, um, maybe you, delve I, into the Exorcist sequels because like many oh horror franchises that tried to figure out how to be franchises, uh, it goes off the rails pretty quickly, I can but that. maybe in a good way, in a way that horror aficionados have certainly uh, embraced over the years. Wait but. till David Gordon Green's Exorcist oh, reboot boy, yeah. trilogy That's brings the, the Corey to the Exorcist. But I can yeah, absolutely I can, see why in 1973, uh, why, why in 1973 people would be like, holy shit, you have to see this movie, you've never seen anything like it. Like, I, that is abundantly clear. Sorry. I No, I was just going to say that I had a, you know, it's, it's not something that I would want to really plant my flag in because there are people who've invested a lot of time exploring this movie's treasures and apparently they are abundant but i had a very similar experience the one time i sat down and watched it all through uh about 10 years ago uh where i was generally underwhelmed um i'm grateful to hear it i i have sort of been walking through life ever since with the assumption that that's a me problem and less the problem with the movie and that one day i will watch it again and its secrets will avail themselves to me in a way they didn't the first time but we're currently at the same place okay with it being a me problem like again my my feelings on horror are well known and like i think there are layers to it that i'm not going to get regardless um but yeah it's uh it's interesting to catch up with something that's so totemic and be like i'm just gonna have to trust everyone else on this which i'm i'm fine with i'm comfortable with letting with being out of out of the drumbeat on that uh i don't know if i talked about this but i'll talk about it now uh java has like a film club uh, where she gets together on Zoom with people who've all watched the same movie and her... Uh, Is she in Matt thing. Patch's film club or a different film club? It's a different film club. This mm. one, uh, from my understanding, does not have any people who professionally are critics, uh, which is Thank why God. I did not... It's just for I the did fans. Not join... I, exactly. I hope Dwayne Johnson is there. <laughs> I did not join last month's uh, Battle of Algiers uh, revisit. Uh, but uh, this month, um, they are doing... Rosemary's Baby and mm. all the issues that come with that. So I am going to be rewatching Rosemary's Baby uh, this week. Um, Java's already rewatched it. I sort of dipped in and out, and I realized there's a lot of that movie that I've forgotten since the last time I saw it. So I'm looking forward to having a reason 
that my girlfriend also agrees with to rewatch a <laughs> Roman Polanski movie. <laughs> Yeah, uh, because, your household, I think, um, is more harsh than most on the idea of of Rosemary's Baby. Because like, I feel like of all the Plansky movies, that's the one people like, I know. But like that movie's a classic, but you guys are more hardline. Well, and the, one of the questions that um, I asked her uh, when they were thinking about choosing it that made, me, made her be like, can you please show up for this one, is if we, if we watch the movie and absorb it, can you, through your knowledge of other movies around the similar era replace it in the canon somehow like is there uh obviously exorcist is also like catholic horror so maybe you got a little bit of exorcist uh i don't want to know necessarily what the or i don't know off the top of my head what the gaslighting movie would be that i would throw in there but can you uh replace it i went through a similar personal journey learning about chinatown and ultimately figured out no kind of not like that specific combination of things Mm. so i'm going to continue uh, with my uh, uh, probing of whether or not we could just never talk about Roman Polanski again uh, by talking about him around the podcast. But if you've been listening to Fighting in the War Room uh, uh, for a couple of months, uh, you might be excited to know that uh, Tuesday, October 25th, so this podcast is already out, uh, Barbarians on HBO Max. Oh, yeah. Mm. So That's on my to-do get- list. Get on that Barbarian. I, I uh. do think that you guys have intrigued me enough on Barbarian that that is something I could watch at home. I think I could handle it. Yeah, with your kid who's home from yeah, sick. So obviously. Now yeah, obviously. Yeah, my do. kid who will never go back to school. The yeah, might as well age. watch Barbarian and scar him because what else? Yeah. There's no future. Exactly. You can't go back to yeah. school. <laughs> exactly. uh, like David, I have been delving into the uh, Criterion Channel 80s collection. David, I did watch The Keep. If people have not seen this Michael Mann film and want to see. That feels like a real Matt Patches movie. Nazis getting annihilated by a golem mm. that's mostly just uh vibes more than straight <laughs> horror gore or anything it's a it's a it's a trip uh it's a, it's a, it, i don't think it's a totally successful movie it's a bit more of a dra- bit drama heavy uh but then the golem comes and blasts people away uh that's pretty fun but the the standout for me i've been trying to watch things that i had never heard of before like near dark is part of the collection and a lot of people have been like jumping on that because it doesn't stream mm. very often um but i watched a movie just total whim did not know anything about it called brain damage uh, from 1988. Ooh. It's a horror comedy, I would say. It's very much like Little Shop of Horrors, uh, except instead of a giant uh, man-eating plant, it's a kind of brain parasite that has googly eyes and a big smile, and <laughs> it kind of reminded me of that bit in Spaceballs when the xenomorph baby comes out of the guy and he does the, the saga dance on the diner top. Um, that is the vibe of this creature that is living in this man's brain who wants him to uh, kill people so that they can be consumed. Um, and there's a bunch of like elderly people who are obsessed with this creature and like are praying at his altar and are, are mad at this man for having bonded with him because they want to bond with it. And it's just wacky. It's just, I uh, cool creature effects, lots of gory, disgusting eighties style or comedy gross out. If you like the Peter Jackson, uh, gross out era. I think you'll like you will like this very strange movie called Brain Damage. I had never ever heard of it before. The cast is is nobody like soap opera actors. Um, yeah, it is gross as hell, and I had a very fun time watching it. So, uh, went a different route with horror this year and watched Brain Damage. That sounds fun. 
You'd laugh. This is all. This is all just you guys trying to sell me on watching any horror movies at all. So You're gonna like, be a horror be fiend by the end of this Halloween. If you were like <sighs> Exorcist too dull for me then your 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 bar is higher than you think i wouldn't it say it was too dull i don't know i'm gonna keep wrestling with the exorcist it's time to I watch martyrs it's time oh, to get into yeah, french go straight extreme to, straight to martyrs yeah don't pass hellraiser don't know what <laughs> don't it is collect 200 dollars <laughs> now don't google it, Yet again, we've been recording for 45 minutes. We're now getting to tar. But we're we cannot skip tar. tar again. We're not skipping tar again, I promise. I'm going to start this segment. Okay. Guys, last right, week it. we were going to record <laughs> about tar, and we skipped it because it got too late. We talked too much about <laughs> other stuff, but guess what? We did the same thing this week, and we're not skipping tar. <laughs> you guys are talking tar. It's tar talk. Tar talk. And tar I haven't talk. seen it, so I'm going to let NPR you guys shows. go. I, I can't wait to see to see Tar, the return of... They tried uh, to railroad Lydia Tar, <laughs> and we can't let it happen. Uh, if Tell me about Tar. Todd Field is back. Todd Field Todd? is back. Uh, is he ever? If you don't remember Todd Field, I have not heard the name Todd Field. I mean, the man played a Eyes key role shot. in inventing <laughs> Big League Chew. Uh, I think is what he's been most famous for on the internet. Uh, no, Todd Field, an actor and filmmaker uh, as an actor, his most famous role, at least in my eyes, again, is as Nick Nightingale in Eyes Wide Shut, which was in 1999. It was shortly before, you know, it was a very formative experience for him being on that set. He partnered with uh, Leon Vitale, who's Kubrick's right-hand man, uh, and would later go on to be an associate producer of Todd Field's directorial uh, efforts, such as In the Bedroom, which was his first movie as a director, and then Little Children, which uh, was less successful with the awards groups, but I think an extremely memorable movie that resulted in one of the one of the best trailers uh, that anyone has cut in the last couple of decades. Anyway, real um, good trailer. And uh, and clearly, uh, it would seem that Todd Field is cutting his own trailers or is partnering very closely with people who know what they're doing because the trailer for Tar have also been bangers. But he, after sixteen years of uh, chilling in a barn in Maine with his family and trying to jumpstart a lot of extremely ambitious projects and adaptations. Um, not to say the adaptations are not also projects, but I think for the most part, these are like very elaborate adaptations. Wasn't he going to do Blood ambitious. Meridian? Yeah, things of that nature. Um, then it was not as if he was simply twiddling his thumbs, but he was really shooting for the moon and seemed happy enough uh, if the projects didn't go. He really wanted to just... Give him, give him his all. And finally, uh, he is back with a movie that has not been, despite its sort of its gravitas and the epic feeling that it comes with and the, the sort of epochal nature of its subject matter, has not sort of been in the works for all the 16 years. But as you will understand, we tell you about the plot, uh, yeah. really just came to him in recent years and came together pretty quickly. Uh, he apparently had a photo of Kate Blanchett above his desk as sort of like a mood board or something along those lines. Maybe they're confusing <laughs> that with some other... Award season story buried with your, uh, buried with your desk. You do it. Yeah. We all yeah, do we it. All, yeah. yeah, everyone knows um, the mood yeah. that they're trying to capture. Yeah, hey, I don't need a reason to have a photo of Kate Blanchett, you know, <laughs> um, pinned above my desk. But uh, but yes, he did write uh, the role of Lydia Tar, accent over the A in Tar, uh, specifically for Kate Blanchett, and she agreed to star in it, to tar in it, if you will. And now Tar <laughs> is out, in which she plays uh, the first female composer of a major 
uh, orchestra. Conductor. Lydia Tarr. Conductor, sorry. Not, well, she is a composer in her own right, but yes. that is, you're correct. That, yes, she is, uh, I meant to say, conductor. Lydia Tarr would have um, corrected you, and I feel like uh, in, in honor of her, of her girl fulfill. boss status, I really needed to, she would have to left set you me straight dead there. in an alley like five minutes ago. <laughs> uh, but um, she, uh, yes, and she is really at sort of the height of her fame and power when this movie begins. Uh, and is on the precipice of a downfall that will, uh, it has a lot of sort of eternal and timeless themes to it, but it also very much takes place in the here and now and in today's cultural world and milieu. It involves cancel culture. It is, uh, proponents of it, of which I am a strong one would say is probably the first, presumably last and maybe only really great movie to tackle cancel culture with finger quotes. I use that phrase head on. Um, I think the and, movie also is very clear on the finger quotes that should be used around that term. Just to, I, yeah, I, I think I mean, that scared me at first when people talked about it. I was like, oh, my God, some like famous directors making movie about like talented artists being canceled. But it is much, much smarter than that. Yeah. I mean, ironically, if you want to see a movie that is uh, and I don't know where you would find it necessarily these days. But if you want to see a movie that is not about this moment in time, but is so much more explicitly about cancel culture uh without the finger quotes on with more an accusatory tone you could look at roman plancy's j'accuse uh which he made after his own so-called cancellation um and uh, is is much more uh, unambiguous than uh tar um about the dreyfus affair and so forth but uh yeah so lydia tar at the height of her power height of her fame um really a, a sort of uh, a figurehead, you know, she, she's symbolic of breaking the glass ceiling in this line of work. She is also a genius. Um, she is maybe a little bit more fragile than she might let on in extended New Yorker talks. Uh, and she is perhaps also somewhat predatory in how she goes and pursues human relationships, particularly those outside of her marriage to her colleague, who's played by Nina Haas. Um, and uh, things uh, decline precipitously for her, I, you would say. Yeah. I mean, if yeah. you were, if you were married to Nina Haas, the first chair violin of the Berlin Orchestra, I just feel like you would just not fuck around with that. But Lydia Tarr makes every but choice. She does fuck around and she does find she out. And she does find out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. She can't stay out of her own way uh, in like throughout the runtime of this movie and like the gradual realization that she's not like a perfect hero for this particular film but she's just at the center of it mm. uh, I think is one of the the cooler things the movie does because it starts off first of all with most of the end credits at the beginning which I appreciate now in like hindsight and then um, following that immediately there's that extended New Yorker interview that David mentioned uh, where it's basically uh, a way for us to meet the character, but it's like an entire has... episode of a podcast, essentially. Yes, <laughs> um, but it works. <laughs> and then you have a little break after that, and then you're in one of her classes she's teaching, and that is like a one interrupted take, but also like 15 minutes, uh, maybe a little bit less. Maybe it just feels longer because it ends up being more consequential. But my initial takeaway of the beginning of this movie, like as I was watching it, is like, is this a series of? Her lecturing me about classical music because I do not know <laughs> if she's right, if she's wrong. I'm yeah. not. La I'm not. Don't know if I'm supposed to be laughing at these jokes. Mm -hmm. uh, luckily, the movie sort of uh, starts to unwrap uh, in ways from that that makes you look back at those sequences you just watched and realize that there has been a faceless redheaded observer and somebody video chatting her moments 
And uh, there I mean, the very is... first thing you see in the movie is, and this is shocking to me, given you know going into the movie knowing the subject matter and the austerity of the movies that Todd Field had made before. This is being his first original project. The previous two films both adapted, a very literary. The very first thing you see in this movie is not a grand concert hall and Cape Blanchett and the fucking tails and conducting. It's an iPhone video um, yeah. presented in the iPhone aspect ratio, and it, it really threw me for a loop. Although, can I ask yeah. a question? What app is that supposed to be? Like, it's like she's Instagram Live, but it, there's a chat <laughs> overlaid over it. I have never seen this before, yeah, and it, I can't it tell it if it's just me. me. A lot of um, what was like the first app that did this? I remember it blew up at South by Southwest that one year. Um, like, and it may it may still be and still be functioning. Um, like I, the, I mean, the, I guess it's not supposed to be recognizable. It's supposed to be you just imagine no. like this young person using something you've never heard of. But I think, she's being watched. Yeah. She's being watched by somebody that we don't see, but we get to see the conversation that person who is watching her is having I, with I, another person yes. we don't know. And I think what's interesting about that from the get go is that you have these very sort of modern pitfalls and pressures uh, and, and traps and expectations uh, laid upon this character who is so nodded in her own head because she is aspiring towards a kind of titanic greatness that is embodied by all of the, the men and all many of them sort of problematic as we hear about at length in the scene that Dave mentioned. Um, you know, and she is trying to sort of be at their level to embody their grandeur because that is synonymous with the kind of success that she has been taught to achieve, that the kind of success that I think is, and the air that comes with it to, that is necessary to conduct herself and her orchestra uh, the way that she feels that she needs to. Um, and I think it's a really clever way of allowing the character to be human and, and sympathetic to a degree of mileage will vary and it goes up and down through the course of the film, but without ever feeling didactic or as if the movie itself is taking a side. It's not like, you know, like here is this monster, but they have this Achilles heel of softness that allows us to love them. Mm -hmm. And it's like she's a very complex human, uh, you know, self-divided person from the very beginning. Uh, and the movie takes that ball and runs with it and sort of trusts you to find your own way through the morass of what this woman is and what she's going through and the actions that she's committed, most of which, like, we, we, we get hints of patterns of predatory behavior, but the most, the actions that she's taken that have had the most disastrous consequences uh, for other people and that haunts her the most all take place before the movie starts. And mm -hmm. so you're really sort of dealing with the residual waves of... Um, and, you know, the, the sort of reprises, if you will, of of those actions and, you know, being cheeky about but that. Also, but the movie is structured like a piece of music and the musicality of the movie. And it's it's the, the way the various acts are structured is very deliberate. Well, you're watching someone who has learned that there are no consequences to her actions over time. And you're seeing the world that she has built by acting in this way and getting away with it and building power in that way. So, like, it's not like she's like learning to see the error of her ways. It's like she has, without knowing it, created an entire system in which it's not possible of happening. And that's like yes. what you were saying, Dave, about not knowing whether or not you're supposed to laugh at something. Like the whole scene with the um, the New Yorker interview, it's happening in front of an audience. And when I saw this in New York Film Festival, I was sitting, sitting in an audience, like I, demographically identical to the one you see in the movie. Like, like <laughs> white, classy New Yorkers who like titter at a joke about Brett Kavanaugh. And... It was the exact same thing where everyone was like, I don't know if I should laugh at this. Like, is this a joke about us? It is. Well, we can laugh about it because we're in on it. But like, and the way that the movie just keeps doing that, it keeps being like, is this supposed to be good? Is this supposed to be bad? And not landing on a side, but not doing a like, well, there are two sides to every story. Like, yeah. it's neither of those things. And I, 
I mean, I've only seen it the one time. I don't really know how it does it. It's kind of and this I think, miracle. Well, I think the big, you know, certainly not its <laughs> only reason it's able to do that, but certainly, you know, one of its most important weapons is Kate Blanchett because she is able to play someone who is in, you know, completely, uh, you know, as tense as can be control over her own instrument, over herself uh, at the same time as her life is unraveling. And she refuses to sort of loosen that grip. And we believe yeah. that she is able to exert that kind of control because she is so impressive and commanding. Uh, we believe her genius from the very beginning of the movie. I mean, there's no question that she's sort of an imposter or anything like that. But, um, you know, it, but, it's but that she could be of, like, well, you could, she, that you could, could be an interpretation some, of this movie. I mean, she suffered sort of imposter syndrome on her own. But I think, you know, she has and there's an element of like her being a token of a woman breaking the glass ceiling in this line of work. Uh, that is sort of in the other as well. But I think that um, it, it, there's there's very little doubt that she's an incredibly impressive, you know, and smart but don't you think the but like, don't you think part of the point of it being set in classical music is that we're going to watch this and be like, like, I guess she's a good conductor. Like I'm watching her. She's very committed to it. But like, I can't tell you if that's good conducting. I don't know what conducting is. I feel like that's a really deliberate part of how the story is told of, of more ambiguity. It was certainly I think my there's also, experience of the movie, <laughs> but yeah, there's, uh, I, I there's think like also, also a through yeah. line of like, uh, can you uh, exalt somebody to this area in art without them abusing that power yeah. in like some sort of way? Right, yeah. and so, I think yes, I mean, it's all about the sort of structural inequities and the way that like the balance of power tips, you know, regardless of who is in that role in a way, because at a certain point, as Katie was saying earlier, that's the only way they can operate in the role that they have ascended to and has been created around them but i think katie to your point like the the not knowing i i think todd field does know this stuff inside and out and really sort of gets off on the details um and he takes you know the the details of the classical music and the pieces that she's playing very very seriously but for us i think that distance of not being able to wrap our heads around her talent but trusting that she has some it contributes to that legend, the aura around her mm -hmm. that makes her mm -hmm. feel sort of impenetrable and makes her uh, her unraveling so much you know, more compelling and, and have real sort of uh, sense of velocity around it that it's unstoppable. When I heard that this movie's runtime was like uh, two hours and 40 minutes before it started, I was like, I... It, fear something that is this long especially when it starts with like just straight monologues about things i didn't understand <laughs> but like at the end of this movie once we start getting towards where it wants to conclude i was like i could have spent another hour mm -hmm. watching this unraveling happen uh because it is so slight and artfully done in a way where you can still feel bad that she is unraveling, but you've also been led into situations where it's pretty obvious she should not be doing something. Yeah. And you're just like, no, Lydia, no. And then it works out poorly for her. And then instead of like, you know, being honest about what happened or something, she uh, makes up like another layer of this onion right. that you know is going to be unpilled. Unpeeled. Unpilled. Yeah. You're be <laughs> unpilled. I mean, you start the movie tar pilled <laughs> and then you get. You definitely get tar pilled. It's, it's because the movie never bothers with, you know, hashing out whether or not what she's doing is good or bad. It's, it's objectively bad. Uh, and the movie takes that for granted so that it can go onto sort of a deeper strata of understanding why it's happening and what it means and how it could be corrected and, you know, who's to blame. And, and so, and like, 
and sort of really hone in on the process of that unraveling. And then, you know, in the, the fifth act, as it as it were, uh, you know, <laughs> some sort of hope for reconciliation or, or reconstitution, whatever you want to call it. But I think that it's because it's starting at a place uh, much further down the road of like grappling with the morality of this character that it's able to get as far as it does. Mm hmm. And then it ends with a pretty cool visual reveal and then an awesome trap song that I can't get out of my head. <laughs> I mean, oh. I've seen... It sounds like this movie is exactly like Black Adam. I was thinking... It's exactly like Black Adam. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. Not that different. Uh, Henry Cavill shows of, up at the end it, and it's like, it, it's, you, Lydia Tarr. It's safe to say <laughs> that the hierarchy of the Dresden or uh, Orchestra is about to change. Oh. Oh, 100%. <laughs> yeah. that, that goes without saying. But... Um, uh, and they really get into the weeds about the politics, uh, the inter-orchestra politics, um, and how it works, or how at least it works in this particular orchestra. Yeah, um, if you don't ask your first, cello, first chair cellist to do the solo, man, you are going to reap the whirlwind. Didn't know that before mm -hmm. I saw Tar. Well, it's yeah. like, it's, it, you, it's, it's any sort of, you could put this structure on any sort of creative thing, which is why it was so obvious to me when she does bad things. I'm like, you can't just do that where it's like, you know, I'm Steven Spielberg, and I say the gaffer is directing this scene. And it's like, you can't do that. But if you are Steven Spielberg, or in this case, Lydia Tarr, you can do that. And people are just going to let you get away with it as you dig your own fucking grave. But people, mm -hmm. people, we don't have to read this, the, bring the spoiler gong on this. There's no point in talking about the particulars. You know, if you haven't yeah. seen the first two hours, uh, it's not going to make any sense to you anyway. But uh, people, the, the last 30 minutes of this movie uh, veer wildly away from everything we've seen before. Um, and it's been polarizing, as I'm sure Todd Fields could expect, uh, because it is such a curveball. Uh, they are, for me, you know, the entire purpose of the movie. I can't really imagine the story without those last 30 minutes. Um, but it, it, because they are sort of the, the glow around that obliteration, I mean, you're watching someone self-immolate for two and a half hours or two hours to that point, and you're watching them obliterate herself before the music as she puts it uh, in much lighter terms at the start of the movie. And I think it's watching her sort of reckon with what that really means for herself uh, after things have gone as far off the rails as they ever possibly could um, in ways darkly funny often, like the most, the most dramatic and irreversible moments are very funny. Uh, oh yeah. This movie is sense of humor. so funny. But, uh, but yeah, it's in that last, that last chunk of the movie where, I think she comes face to face with reality a little bit and is able to become closer to the music and sort of finish that process of obliteration in order to start picking up the pieces um, to not reconstitute the person that she was, but build something else out of the ashes. Uh, it, it's so interesting and, and real in how it's done and uh, really sort of gutting and painful and never lets her off the hook. Uh, but very unexpected and how it resolves. And I just thought, you know, it's it really it's such a swerve that you can't help but be like, wait, did I just skip a reel? Like what mm -hmm. is happening here? But uh yeah, in hindsight, I think the movie really beautifully sticks the landing and that's what brings it all together. For me, did you feel the same way, you guys? 
I've been grappling with it. Like I still, I got out of it being like, I cannot believe that was the final shot of this movie. And Patches, I, I think that you know the final shot of this movie because it rings close to home for you in your line of work. Um, there, there will there will be tar content on Polly, <laughs> believe it or not. Yeah, she, starts, <laughs> she starts eating a shoe made out of licorice. Yeah, so yeah. she meets And I'm Maverick. like, oh my God, this um, movie could have only existed now. I think I wasn't sure if there was hope in that ending. And it sounds like you think there is, but I'm not sure that it's supposed to be certain one way or another. I wouldn't say that hope is not necessarily the word I do, because at least not for what it uh, connotes. Uh, I think there is hope that she's, she will, you know, life finds a way, Uh, (laughs) you know, it's not spoiling anything. I think that like her, her journey is not over necessarily. Yeah. Um, She's not going to be dead in a gutter the next morning. That I yeah. that's as far as I would take, you know, uh, the idea of hope. I, I I think that a lot of damage has been done and bridges have been irrevocably burned. But I also, you know, I don't think that she's. I, I think that she is sort of realizing her true ideals without all of the pomp and circumstance, uh, and and closing the. And gap you believe that she did have way. ideals after all. Like I think I think you do come around to that, despite what a monster she became. That she did have ideals around music. I just don't believe in the that this character rises to the position that they're in in life without a need for the music, without a real like beyond love, like a real sort of obsessive. Um, connection to the music and i think that the dynamic between her and the music that drove her and that had, you know lit her brain on fire since she was little got perverted and corrupted and destroyed uh because of power and because of ambition and all of these other things and because of um you know the, the historical shoes that she was conditioned to feel like she needed to fill as a woman who was you know in this sort of a carrying position of flying flying solo so close to the sun uh but i do think that love the music that that relationship to it is there underneath it all all the while and i think you know no matter how much of a hateful monster you think that character is or she sort of undeniably is at times uh i think it's hard for me to understand how this character exists without that Mm. yeah i think the end is something to chew on and think about and i think the, the my favorite thing about this movie is how much you're left thinking about despite how clear it is in its intention uh, like it really walks that high wire act where if you want to judge Lydia Tar, you can, but you could also be on her side, I think, and yeah. not feel necessarily bad about what you actually see on screen. And just to piggyback on what Katie was saying earlier, I do think a large part of it in all respects about classical music, about the respect and the history afforded to some of these pieces and the people who composed them, and also our feelings about Lydia Tar come down to a a lot of talk about the value that we project over art and the people who create it um, Mm -hmm. and how real that value is or is not, um, how manufactured it is, is the power dynamics that come with that value that are conferred upon it. Um, You know, art being as subjective as it is, I mean, we deify some of the people who create it, but is it necessarily better than Something else, uh, you know, I think that like it, the idea is that art's power, the people that we uh, is is what we find in it. It's the power that we assign it, and the same is true to a person in Lydia's heart position. It's the power that everyone in the art world around her uh, and the audience in that New York, uh, New Yorker, uh, you know, Q and A session have conferred upon her. And I think the movie is really skeptical of that power, even if I also believe that this character has a real love for the music and, and probably mm-hmm. a genius for understanding it. Tar, 
It's good. It's so Go good. see it. I bet we're going to be talking about it again when we start talking about top tens. And I feel like uh, we predicted someone. We go look at our Oscar predictions. Uh, we I feel like we uh, we all got at least enough of us got behind uh, Kate Blanchett. So <laughs> yes, except for Dave, who hadn't seen this movie yet. Uh, come on, James Cameron. Um, uh, yeah. Wait, I hadn't seen it yet either. You didn't. You didn't pick James Cameron to win Best Actress. I just want to be clear. That does it for this week's show. We'll be back next week. We're talking about Wendell and Wilde, the new Henry Selleck movie coming to Netflix so we can all watch it. Uh, in the meantime, tell the people who you are. I am Matt Patches, deputy editor at Polygon. I'm on Twitter at Mr. Patches, and we have a website. What? You really what hesitated is- there for a second. <laughs> oh, did you just freeze was- that you were like, I'm on Twitter. Like, yeah, yeah, very yeah, skeptical. Like, Should I still be on Twitter? <laughs> I don't know. It's really going <laughs> we're, to hell. We're the- worth asking we're probably gonna have an episode that's entirely about that at some point mm. right uh anyway we have a white website fightingtheworm.com i bet you we've reviewed or talked about uh most of the dceu in our in our time <laughs> the snyder we predate the snyderverse so uh go we back do. and revisit those i'd be curious what what the headache i had during dawn of justice was uh, it was, it was a <laughs> miserable experience uh, I'm David Ehrlich. Uh You can find me on Twitter, David Ehrlich. You can find me on IndieWire, writing about all sorts of things. Um, you can find all of us on iTunes and Fighting in the War Room. Go on iTunes, Fighting in the War Room. Leave us a review. We will read it live on the show. We will not talk about uh, shamelessly pay-for-play uh, iTunes games, iPhone games, rather, uh, that are all feeding into the Disney empire. But we will mm. if you don't do it, because you know what? For whatever sadistic... Reasons, uh, masochistic reasons. I can't talk today. What else is new? I love those <laughs> fucking games. I'm addicted to them. I need to build up my teams. I need to work those hollow de- hollow tables, hollow decks, hollow tables, hollow tables. I got to do it. Hollow decks, the other star franchise. Great. Uh, I'm Dave Gonzalez. You can follow me on Twitter at da7e. You could email us your international reviews or just anything. At this point, we have, we need some emails to also save us from mobile gaming. At fitwr.podcast at gmail.com. You could hear me talk about House of the Dragon for two more weeks on Trial by Content uh, before we reset and do other pop culture debates. And uh, on the David Neal Patreon podcast, DA70 and Neil, how you'd expect to spell, be spelled, uh, we talked about E.T. this week and uh, had some little production secrets. But we're doing movies that take place partially on Halloween, and E.T. definitely does. Oh yeah, iconic uh, Halloween costume. I was trying. To, one of my children wanted to go as a ghost at one point this year, and I was really excited to have a little ET, yeah, running around. But it pivoted. Uh, I'm Katie Rich. You can find me on Little Gold Men on, at Vanity Fair. Um, where this week I talked to Sheila McCarthy, one of the actresses from Women Talking. What a blast! We'll talk about women talking at some point in the future. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at or find me on Twitter at Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H. And we're all on Twitter at F-I-T-W-R, where I would love to hear your spooky season recommendations, or you can yell at me about The Exorcist, or you can answer this week's lightning round question, which was... In honor of Tar, what's your favorite pop culture classical music needle drop? Thanks for listening, and we'll be back talking to you next week.